following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. If you have a Bible, let's open it up to the book of Romans, chapter 13. If you have a PDA, uh, please use your PDA and find your Bible there, Bible software. Uh, if you have a handphone that has one of those references on there, you can certainly do that. Make sure your handphone's turned off. But I'm um, just trying to use this technology that we have and Bible software and handphones and computers and laptops and things. But um, I want to share some things with you this morning. I do hope that uh, maybe provoke your thinking a little bit. Uh, maybe asked a few questions and... Look together into the Word of God. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this church and in each and every one of our lives. Lord, we ask you to put your hand upon us for good, Lord. Just pour out your blessing upon us. Lord, our lives might be transformed and reflect your light, Lord, into the world of, of great darkness. Help us, God, to let our light shine in such a way that other people would see our good works and that, Lord, they would glorify you, our Father who's in heaven. And so, Lord, as we look into your word today, we ask that you help us to gain understanding, Lord, that you might speak to us by your Holy Spirit, through your word, and give us understanding, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look here. Romans chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 11, 11 through uh, 14, the, the last couple of verses in the chapter here. It says this, and this do, knowing the time. That is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Now, I get excited about the Word of God and particularly about the book of Romans. And those of us and many of us that have you know, been to Bible school or seminary and things, and those of us that maybe read commentaries, that you'll learn that the book of Romans really is, is, could be classified or said to be the prince of epistles. It's just a wonderful book full of tremendous theological concepts and, and foundations for our faith. You can certainly say that the theme of Romans could be said as justification by faith. It's one of the themes that's throughout the book. If you want to read the book of Romans, you should, probably should read it in connection with the book of Galatians. Because of what we were told is Galatians is like many Romans. And so the two of them kind of coincide with each other and you can get a good meaning of what things are being said. Now we know that the Apostle Paul is the writer of this book. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's known as the Apostle to the, uh, to the Gentiles. And uh, God called him in Acts chapter 9 and, and we know that story. And so here we find in history that Paul actually never visited this church in Rome. We know that he was under house arrest at one time there for a season. But Paul seemed to have a longing to visit the church that was at Rome. 
Now, we don't have time. I would love just to teach this for the you know, next week or two, but don't have time to do that. So I'll leave that to your own study. But we know in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that, you know, on several occasions he had planned to come and visit them. Paul longed to see them because he heard that their faith was being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul says that I come, for many times I've been prohibited up until this point, that when I come by Spain, maybe I'll stop by and see you. That when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He says that in chapter 15, right around verses 17 down through 27. And Paul, as we know, had a calling on his life to preach the gospel where Christ had not ever been named because he didn't want to build upon another man's foundation. We look further in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 through 8 through 10 we find that Paul saw himself as a wise master builder. He says I lay a foundation another one comes behind and builds upon it. He said let us be careful how we build. We build with uh, gold, silver and precious stone then the, the fire is going to test the quality of each man's work. But if we build with uh, with uh, wood hay and stubble Our lives will be saved, but the things that we do on this earth will be burned up. And Paul says, no one can lay a foundation except that which is already laid, Jesus Christ. So we know that Jesus is the foundation of the church. We know that. So when Paul was heard about their faith that was being proclaimed throughout the whole world at that time was the persecution that had come into the church in Rome. And they were filling stadiums and they were feeding the Christians to lions. And Paul says that I long, I want to get there, I want to preach the gospel to Rome as well. I want to obtain some fruit among you. When I come, I want to impart a spiritual gift that you may be established. Paul says that in chapter 1 verse 4, he says that through Jesus Christ we've received this grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. And Paul wanted to go there and impart something that that church in Rome could then take the gospel and spread even further. Because at that time, there was the same language. Rome had set up all the roads. My wife is a tremendous church history teacher. She can fill you in all those gaps. From what I understand, from, the, from Rome, the gospel just went out. It just went out. And Paul, in chapter 10, talks about, we're going to get to this in a minute, but he talks about how are they going to hear about him in whom they have not believed. How are they going to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear... How are they going to hear without a preacher? And how is a preacher going to go unless he be sent? That's a whole other interesting concept. But in Galatians chapter 1 verse 12, Paul says that he was not sent by an institution or an agency of man. He received the gospel directly as a revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the one who sent him. Look in Acts chapter 13, you can read the story. There were some prophets there and some teachers, and they were all together ministering to the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul. That's how God works. And we find, I mean, I just love the themes in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Paul talks about not being ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to every man that believes. Paul talks about chapter 2, about God is not impartial. He's the God of the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Every, the whole world is guilty before God. Chapter 3, every person has sin. All sin, not one righteous, no, not one. Chapter 4, he starts to talk about walking in the footsteps of our father Abraham. Jesus was delivered up because of our transgressions, and he was raised for our justification. 
And Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. Chapter 5, we find being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to talk about one man's disobedience, the first Adam. Sin came into the world and spread to every man. By the act of one man's righteousness, that's Jesus Christ, many became righteous. Chapter 6, we find the burial chapter. That we're, if we're united with Christ in the likeness of his death into baptism, when he was raised, we too are raised up in the likeness of his resurrection. And we're not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Then we find this dilemma in chapter 7 where Paul talks about this members of sin that's sort of in there somewhere and it makes him do the very things that he doesn't want to do. How many of you have struggled? I found that. Isn't that true? The old self was crucified, but sometimes he likes to resurrect, doesn't it? We have to keep him dead. Keep him down. Chapter 8, we find, he, you know, in chapter bottom of chapter 7, who can save me? Who, who can save this wretched man that I am? In chapter 8, he talks about, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said we are no longer obligated to live after the flesh if indeed the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. So there's a whole freedom, whole liberty. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Chapter 9, he goes back and looks at the past state of Israel. God's not done with the children of Israel. How many believe that? God's not finished. And how, how God... You know, because of they've broken the covenants, they broke the laws of God. God had to start looking at the Gentiles and going to a people that were not yet his name. And, and, and the, the, the wild olive branch that got grafted, and that's the Gentiles. Chapter 10, he talks about the present day Israel. Where Israel? There's a veil that remains over. When the law of Moses is being read, they can't see it. In chapter 11, he talks about the future of Israel. That out of Zion, a deliverer will come. And all, all Israel will be saved. I don't, I mean, that's just an amazing scripture to me. Romans chapter 11. Then we find Romans 12 about, Paul says, and he's urging us about the mercies of God to present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. Chapter 13 is where we're at now. We talks about being subject to the governing authorities. That God puts these institutions on earth for the sake of the wickedness of the countries. In chapter 13, he talks about if you're living a godly life, then you should be blessed. You should have no problem. Those institutions, the governments, are there under God's authority. But if you're living evil, you better watch out. He said, either way, you better do it because of conscience' sake. He goes on and talks about owing no man nothing. Pay your debts. Pay your taxes. Whatever it is. Customs. Honor to whom honor is due. Love one another. Owe no man nothing, he says in this chapter. Chapter 14, we find the liberty about, you know, those who are strong want to bear the infirmities of those who are weak and not just please ourselves. The whole issue about food. And if I'm eating something that's causing you to stumble, then I probably shouldn't do it. That's my paraphrase. In chapter 15, Paul sort of brings it to a close. And he talks about presuming not to speak upon anything except what Christ has accomplished through him. That beginning in Jerusalem, all around the region of Icarium, which is modern day Turkey and Croatia and all that. I fully preach the gospel of Christ. He said, the powers of signs and wonders. In chapter 13, or chapter 16, he just sort of Tell Phoebe and greet this one and greet that one and greet this one and greet that one. And then book of Romans is over. <laughs> but Paul says here in verse 11, and this do knowing the times. And I want to ask you a question. If I was to ask you a question, what time is it? What would you say? Many of us would look at our watches, right? It's about uh, 1037, right? Many of us would look at our PDAs and we'd see, well, today is... You know, the, the last day of August in 2008, and it's Sunday. And because we have these, we have clocks and we have calendars, 
and we have things that tell us what time it is. Right? We have things that tell us what time it is. And the book of Ecclesiastes says that there is a time and a season for every event under heaven. So if I was to ask you a question in your life in a spiritual way, do you know what time it is? What time is it in your life? What time is it in my life? What time is it in the life and the history of this church? What time is it in the life and history of the nations? Where, what, what's God doing? Well, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who really has the full answer of all of that. But we need to be like or strive to be like the tribe of Issachar who understood the times and had the knowledge of knowing what Israel was to do. Now, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. So man's timetable certainly is different than God's timetable. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. We can look at oftentimes in the book of Matthew, one of the key words in the book of Matthew is the word fulfilled. And Jesus did this and that to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Oftentimes, and this was to fulfill. So we know there's a timeline and sometimes in the things of God. And I'll tell you, we're going to exhaust ourselves trying to figure it out and trying to get the answer because no one really knows the day of the hour when the Son of Man is going to come back. But we do know that He's going to come like a thief in the night. And we do know He's going to come in an hour we don't expect Him to. And those are His words. Somebody really important said that. Jesus said that. Right? He said, blessed is the slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. And so time is very important. We only get so much time you have. You only have so much time. So if I was asking, and Paul says, in this do, knowing the time. There was a time when Deb and I were, uh, we were kind of based in Hong Kong for a season. I was doing a six-month internship. It was one of our sections of time we were in Hong Kong, and we were taking Bibles up into China with Revival Christian Church, and that's when we uh, met the laymans and other people that have passed through this community. And that was just a great time in our life. We'd come through the Philippines, and we were sort of there in Hong Kong. And, and um, you'll kind of appreciate this. For, this is sort of an illustrating marriage talk, but it hasn't, has to do with time. And Deb and I were there, and we were staying with this young man. We were, um, he was sharing a, a flat with us. We were kind of flat sitting, house sitting. And um, it was a Sunday morning, and we were getting up to go to church. And I was, uh, you know, in, in, in the shower, and I yelled out to Debbie, Debbie, what time is it? And so she says to me, I'm ironing your shirt. And so this young guy, David, he was from Ireland, he says to Debbie, he said, uh, did I miss something here? He, he said, he asked you what time it was, and you said, I'm ironing your shirt. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. He's not interested in what time it is. He wants to know, am I ironing my shirt? Am I ironing his shirt? <laughs> so this guy, young guy, David, not married, says, okay, got it. So a little bit later in the conversation, I yell out, Deb, where's my brush? David says, what does he mean by that? <laughs> What does he mean? But no, he means where's my brush? <laughs> See, and God is like that sometimes. God might be saying, what time is it? But really what he wants to know is, are you doing what I've called you to do? Are you where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing? When you're supposed to be doing it? <sighs> so I have six things that I believe that can sort of like time indicators to tell us what I believe or what could be the time or what time it is. First of all, I believe, honestly, it's a time for us to examine ourselves. Let's look here in uh, Romans chapter 11, I believe it is. Let's see if I can find it. 
Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 14, verse 10. And this whole thing is about judging people in reference to uh, food and all that kind of stuff that sometimes it just doesn't make sense to me, but it's in the Word of God, so it must be important. Let's look at verse 11. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God. So then... Each one of us shall give account of himself to God. This whole thing is really talking about um, judging people and, and judging people reference to food. And why should you, you know, hold your brother? Why should you judge your brother in verse 10? Why do you hold your brother in contempt? For judgment shall, we all shall stand before the judgment seat of God. I'm just using this to make a point here. But I honestly believe there are times in our life where we've got to take a look and we've got to examine ourselves. And I, I did one of these uh, very exhaustive time in my life. It's been a, a quite a long time now, but I ask myself questions, hard questions. Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Am I at what Extend am I fulfilling the Great Commission in our life and our ministry? Am I dealing with areas in my life that God thinks is important? Am I honoring my father and my mother? Am I a good example to my son? And there are times when you've got to take a closer look and see what's in there. And I'm learning in my life, my, my mother had five kids up until I was 12, and then she got remarried and had another daughter, so there's six kids in my family. And there have been times where we had to uh, cram into a, you know, share room type thing, all the boys in one room, and, you know, that whole thing. And so the rooms got kind of messy. <laughs> Our house got kind of messy at times. And, you know, there were times where my mom did not have to ask permission to come in and have a look at our, at our room. She just came through the door. Clean that up. Pick that up. Put that away. Tuck those clothes in. Right? Then we got a little older, and at first it was a knock on the door. Can I come in? What are you going to do? Mom knocks on your door. You better open up the door. Right? Okay, come on in. Take a look. Now, the Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, that there's nothing hidden from the eyes with whom we have to do. There's nothing hidden from... You and I cannot escape the glance of God. Cannot. And God doesn't have to ask permission. He already knows what's in there. He knows where we're at. He's trying to, he wants us just to try to cooperate with him and get on his, get on his plan. It's time for us to take a good look. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, it says, Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Now we know that Jeremiah was the writer of Lamentations and we know that he was considered the weeping prophet and he had gone down into Babylon with the, with the Jews at that time and prophesied many things and God brought them all out of there. But there was a time in his life where he felt, in chapter 3, that his prayer went up to the ceiling and bounced back down. That's a good time to start examining yourself. Why is that? Why do I feel that way? It's a good time. And even when we take, uh, partake of the bread and the cup, it's always a time for us to take a good look. Take a good look. Get it under the blood of Jesus. Whatever needs to be under the blood of Jesus, get it under the blood of Jesus so we can move on. And Paul talked about examining ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. Now, the test of that is, is Christ in you? And if Christ is in you, well, then we pass the test. 
So it's time for us to take a look. In, in Psalm 139, verse 23, David said, Lord, search me. Search me. Take a look. Try my heart. Test me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God wants us to really get those things in order in our life. Take a good look. So I honestly believe it's a time to examine ourselves. Number two, I believe it's a time for faith. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to really try hard to skip 16 because I'm going to, it's going to come up here in a minute, but let's read, let's just read the two verses, 16 and 17. And I'll make a point on 17. I believe it's a time for faith. Verse 16 and 17. Paul says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every man that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And if there was ever a time for us to really get get a hold of the word of God and really apply ourselves and grow in our faith, it's now. You cannot you cannot escape it, folks. Often I mean, is it saving faith? And whose faith is it? Is it that person's faith? Is it my faith? Well, how about this one? How about When we are faithless, he is faithful and he cannot deny himself. So whose faith is it? It's his faith. Or it's not so much the size of our faith, it's the object of our faith. We're saved by faith. It's the same faith that brought us to the altar to to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's the same faith that we pray to ask God to answer our prayers. It's the same faith that we ask God to lead and guide and direct. It's the same faith that we pray and believe that we're going to be protected. It's the same faith that we ask God to bless our work, that Lord would take us into places that other people would be saved. It's the same faith. I understand there's different, there's a gift of faith given by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm not talking about that. But I know in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that God gives each one of us a measure or a portion of faith. You got the same amount that I have. You have the same amount of faith that I have. And that faith is the ability to receive from God. Each one of us has that. God gives it to us. It's a portion of faith. It's an allotment of faith. Now, I think it's amazing when you look at how many times Jesus healed people. Let it be done to you according to your faith. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years saw him walking through the crowd, said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. My goodness. When Jesus walked through that crowd, how many people were touching him? Well, I wasn't there. I don't know. But it says that there was a large crowd. There was the, the twelve was there too. So when that woman touched Jesus' garment, what happened? Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out, and this woman was healed. He turned around and said, who touched me? They're like, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know who it was. Look at all these people here. No, 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 no. Somebody touched me. Jesus spoke to the woman. There she was. She knew. It's the same faith. There's no different than you and I, her, anybody. The ground is level at the cross, folks. But I'll tell you what. The book of James says, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God. Sometimes God passes up people to get to you. 
Why? Because he knows where you're at in your faith. Right? You, there's, you know, faith, as we read the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, I told you last time I preached, I got myself some Johnny Cash reading the New Testament. And I'm telling you, it's incredible stuff. And I'm reading the word, reading it on my, listening to the word, and reading it on my laptop. Trying to catch him to see if he mispronounced any words or not. He's a pretty good reader. What am I doing? I'm feeding my brain the word of God. It's getting in there. Oh, I feel a little different. Whoa, this trial's not so bad anymore. Why? God's perfecting my faith. The Bible talks about the faith being like a shield. Take up the shield of faith by which you're able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith is like a shield. Faith is like a muscle. Faith is like a mustard seed. We, we know in 1 Peter chapter 5, he tells us about the devil plows around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, but resist him firm in your faith. Now, Peter knew something about the devil. Peter knew a lot about the devil. Followed Jesus for, what, three years or so? When uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 16, where we find um, the, the confession of Christ, where it was revealed to Peter who Jesus was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do men say that I am? Some say, some say, some say, some say, some say. Who do you say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. Next minute, at that time, Jesus started to tell his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, being turned into the hands of chief sinners, and die what did Peter say? <gasps> Lord, forbid that. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. What am I saying here? Peter understood. Later on in the life of Jesus, the devil has requested or is asking that you be sifted like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Here's Peter later on in his life. starts to write his epistle to the church there. First Peter chapter 5, he says, be careful now, be sober, be careful, be vigilant. He knew. <laughs> he knew. I'll tell you something. Um, this, is a, this is a way, and, and just so you know what I'm talking about. When we started to register a foundation here in Thailand, when I started to put my name to papers that were being passed through the government, all hell broke loose on my household. I'm talking about we have not faced that much oppression in my life. And listen, folks, don't be fooled. The scripture says, do not give place to the devil. And I'm not elevating him. Jesus is above all things. But I'm letting you know, we have to be careful. And it's a time for faith. And he will, he will try to weed that out of us. And try to throw everything in our paths to get us to stop believing. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Hebrew Christians that had believed in the promise of Jesus. And they were a generation that started to go back into Judaism. The whole book of Hebrews was written. Wonderful, classical, great, great, great letter. The key word is better. 
And in chapter 10, right on the last verse, the writer there, probably the Apostle Paul, some argue Apollos, and, well, it's there, so not really important. But he says, we are not like those who shrink back to destruction, but we are those who have faith for the persevering of the soul. And he told us oftentimes, hold fast to profession of your faith firm until the end, for he has promised is faithful. And so there's a time, folks, where we need to gird up ourselves, gird up our loins, and protect our faith. Starve your doubts, feed your faith. Number three. I believe it's a time for the gospel. We read chapter 16, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 16. Now there's the three IMs of Paul in there, verse uh, 14, 15, and 16, but I'll let those for your own study. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation to every man that believes. And if there was ever a time for the gospel, it's now. And it has always been time for the gospel. There has not ever been a generation or a time or a day or a minute or an hour where it was not time for the gospel. And I can remember when I was learning Thai. been here ten years still learning Thai. There was a time when I was sitting on the platform in a Yutia. My wife and I took 26 cities in Thailand. We first moved here. We, we did some research and we wrote a prayer guide, a strategic prayer plan for, for Thailand. And so I did a lot of prayer walking and spent a lot of times in buses and in trains and things. I can remember this time and I was still learning Thai and, and still very new in it and so excited I can just read these kind of funny things on this page. And so I take my, you know, I take my Thai books with me and travel. I was on the platform in a UTI waiting for a train to come. I was with one of, our, uh, one of our friends that were doing the project with us, doing some of the research. And so I'm on this platform, and I have the book of John and I'm, uh, in Thai. It's just a some simple little book, and I'm reading it. Very, very simple. Uh, very, very simple uh, Thai words, not, not very difficult. And I'm reading it out loud. Just reading it. Just having a great, great time waiting for the train to come. I'm just reading the, just reading the book of John. And all of a sudden, my, my friend Andrew says, now, don't get excited, but there's, you know, there's a couple people right behind you, because the bench, you know, you, one people sit this way, one people sit. People behind you are listening to you read. How, oh, my goodness. Okay. Got a little louder. <clears throat> Got a little louder. So I raised my voice a little bit. I'm reading the book of John. He goes, getting pretty good, but there's some people back there. So all of a sudden, right? Trains coming, coming down. You know, everybody's all hustling and bustling, getting their bags. I stood up, and all of a sudden, this Young Thai girl behind me, she says, can I please have that book? Can I have that book? Sure, you can. Gave her that book. It's time for the gospel, folks. It's time for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was another time we were working in Udantani, over in Isan. One of the disciples in the church in Nongkai, which is the next province over, about 56 kilometers away, she had said to us one day, can you pray for my father? Um, he's in Udantani. He, he hasn't been well, and, and he doesn't know Jesus. And so we were there, and a, a friend of mine from Singapore was working in Nongkai, Udantani area, and I had a friend from the States traveling with me. And so we had a free day. And so we got one of the, one of the church leaders from the church in Nongkai, jumped in his pickup truck, headed off to Udantani. And so we found the house. I mean, this map just drawn on the back of a, uh, an envelope. Found the house, found the father. Uh, certainly he was not well. He had a problem with um, his stomach. And so we prayed for him, uh, shared Christ with him. He, he prayed to receive the Lord as his personal Lord and Savior. Uh, we had asked him, how does your stomach feel now? He says, well, I'm not sure. 
Usually after I eat food, I get this feeling and it's just not nice. I said, well, go in the kitchen and make some food. Test it out, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so, you know, he got maybe just, I don't know, too many chilies or something. I don't know. So he's in the kitchen making the food. And we noticed this woman crossed the street. Man, she was a boss, bossy boots. I mean, this Thai lady was just, we thought, oh, my goodness, she's going to come over here and train wreck this whole thing. So she comes across the street, and we start talking. She's seen the whole thing. We noticed she was limping. She was limping. So she came over, sat down. We start talking to her. She wanted to know what we, what we did with that man that was making the food in the kitchen. And so we explained to her that he was not well and how we had known him and through this disciple in Nongkai and all that. And so we started to share with her. And we asked, can we pray for you? We noticed that you have this limp. Can we pray for you? She says, do you mean you want to do to me what I saw you do with that man? Put, put your hand on him and gather around him and pray. Who are you talking to? we talking to the God who made the heavens and the earth. That God has a son, Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the whole world. So all of a sudden, she said, okay. So we prayed for her. Now, in Thai Buddhism, they have these charms. They have these strings. That's a whole other story in itself. But they have these strings. We noticed that she had these strings on there. And they're just charms, some kind of, uh, for good luck, that they get in the temples. And so we noticed she had this charm on her wrist. And so we prayed for her. We asked her to get up. She stood up. We walked with her for about three steps. On the fourth or fifth step, she was not limping anymore. Perfectly well, according to what we could see. She turned to us and said, how did you do that? We said, well, we didn't do that. Jesus did that. She goes, I want to tell you something. We're okay, fine. I mean, she's all excited. She said, when I, when I came across the street, I had a vision in my mind. And I saw something. So we said, what did you see? She goes, in my mind, first we thought it was a dream. Did you have a dream? Did you get up? Did you eat some time the night before? Did you have this? When, when did you have this vision? Was it a vision? Was it a dream? She says, no. She says, when I came across the street... I had this picture in my mind, a mental picture. I said, well, what did you see? So I saw this cloud, and in this cloud I saw a temple. And I saw a being coming out of the temple in the cloud that I saw in my mind. And the being that I saw had a, like a, pic, a picture in his hand with liquid in it. Walked over to me. At first I thought it was water. And then the being that I saw that came out of the temple in the cloud, in my mind's eye, poured the liquid onto my head, and it washed down over me. At first I thought it was water. She said, but actually it was blood, and it washed the spirits out of me. She goes, in the vision that I saw, the being that came out of the temple in the cloud that I saw, took me by the hand and walked me into the temple that I saw in my mind. And it was perfectly clean inside this temple. I can hear voices singing. They were up into the balcony. I couldn't see them, but I knew they were there. And all of a sudden, that being took a book, showed me a book, and he wrote my name in the book. Folks, I said to this woman, Did, have you ever read the Bible? What's, what is the Bible? What is it? I said, well, you've just described to us what we have in the book that pertains to our faith. And then we prayed for her to receive Jesus as a Lord and Savior. And then we cut the charms off. Now, we learned later that this woman was the caretaker at the temple. Cleaned off all the candles and 
scraped all the stuff and took all the flowers away and threw it away. Folks, it's time for the gospel. It's time for the gospel. There was another season where I had spent some time in Mesot. I had um, a student that graduated in a Bible school here in a local church in Chiang Mai. He graduated, went on to uh, Mesot, and he was living down there. He said, look, come and visit me someday. So I thought, okay, Deb, time to visit some of the students. Let's go have a look. So uh, his name is Lek. So he was living down there, and we went to visit him. And um, he said, well, let's go to the temple. I said, okay, fine. He said, uh, the monk in the temple, we grew up together in our hometown. And uh, now he's become a monk. You know, we were up to sixth grade. And then sort of he went his way. I went my way. And we, kind of, we kind of saw each other through life. But now I know that he is a monk in the temple. And he knew that I went to a Bible school. And he knows that you're my teacher. I want to introduce you to him. I thought, okay, I kind of know where this is going. So go in there anyways. And we started talking to this monk. And believe it or not, I was in there. I sat and talked, drank water and plowed through a bunch of mumbo-jumbo for about six hours. Talked and talked and talked. And the guy wanted to talk about, obviously, about our faith, and he wanted to talk about the Bible. And I said, well, before we get to the Bible, let's talk about God. <laughs> You've got to believe that there is a God first. We kind of started there. So through this whole spiel, he asked me, what is it that qualifies you to teach your religion? I said, well... Talked about Jesus and the sacrifice he made and being born again. Qualified. <laughs> okay, so I said, well, what qualifies you to share your religion? Well, I gave up my family, gave up my wife, gave up my job, shaved my head, shaved my eyebrows, put on this robe, came into the temple, studied all, studied all the teachings of Buddha, went through all the carnation thing, became a monk. I said, so you would say that you represent Buddhism in this community? Yeah. And that qualifies you to share your faith? Yeah. Okay. Well, then where are all the people? Looked around. said, well, there's only three or four of us in this temple. There's me, my friend Lek, you, and your novice monk here. Where are all the people? He said, well, that's the problem. People are not living out the teachings in their daily lives. I said, so when do they come to worship? They come to different festivals. Yes, it's pretty crowded, but on a daily basis, there's not pretty, pretty much nobody comes. I says, well, there's, see, there you have it. You said it yourself. People are not following the teachings of the Buddha. There has to be a reason why. Have you ever thought about the reason why? Well, this is a mystery. This is a hard question. It's okay. I says, well, if the teachings cannot be lived out in the lives of the followers, then I think there's something wrong with the teaching. <gasps> okay, time to leave, right? Shut down. All of a sudden... The guy, the novice monk next to him, in perfect English, sitting there for six hours, never said peep. Perfect English said, can I have one of those books? I want to believe in everything you just said. I thought, now I know why I was sitting in this temple all day. Folks, it's time for the gospel. Let's not complicate the issue. There is a God. He has a son. His name is Jesus, and he died for you. That's the message. If you look at Romans chapter 15, verses 3, we find Jesus died according to the Scriptures. Jesus was buried according to the Scriptures. And Jesus rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. And I'll add one more. And he's coming again. When? I don't know. But he's coming. Let's not complicate it. Let's make sure that we are living our lives. If people don't have a Bible, let's live in a way that they can see it, and they'll know what we believe in. 
Number four. I honestly believe that one, two, three, four. Number four. Let's look at Romans 11, verse... Um, uh, where are we? How did I get in the book of Acts here? Must have been the fan here. Let's see here. I honestly believe that it's time for a ministry to be fulfilled. Let's look at Romans chapter 11. This is really talking about Israel and how God's going to graft them into the vine and He's going to bring them out after the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. But He says this, verse 13. He says, But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles as much then as I am the apostle, uh, am an apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if somehow I might, um, I might move them to jealousy, my fellow countrymen, and save some of them. If you look at this word magnify, another word of saying is Paul says, I make much of my ministry. And if there's ever a time for us, and we know that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, if you have a call from God, which we believe that we are and we do, then God's not going to revoke that. It's, he's going to, he wants us to fulfill it. And Paul in his writing, we know that he told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now, you and I got to figure out what that ministry is. And back to the point in a minute about uh, a minute ago about examining ourselves. My wife and I had to go through one of these times where we had to look at what we were doing in Thailand. And is it working? And is what we are doing working? How can we make it better? Look, I, have, I have a rule. If it's not broke, don't fix it. You know what? If it's not working, don't do it. <laughs> right? Change it. And sometimes letting go of things, closing things is hard. When you carry something for so long and you feel like you've exhausted every, every bit of thing you have and you feel that God is saying let go of it and it's still hard, there comes a time when you just let bygones be bygones and get on with it. <laughs> right? If the branch is not bearing any fruit, it's cut off. It's either pruned or cut off. It's either going to bear more fruit or it's going to be put in a fire and burned. And so we had to, we had to make some adjustments in our life in order for us to fulfill what God was calling us to do, we had to make some really hard choices. Huh. Am I right? And thank God. Thank God we did, we did it. We made the choices and things are happening again. And it's a time for a ministry to be fulfilled. When Paul wrote the letter to the church at Colossae, in chapter 4, verse, four, four, uh, chapter four, verse 17, there was a person in the church called Archippus. Archippus. And Paul says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry that you've received in the Lord, that you might fulfill it. In John chapter 17 was Jesus' farewell prayer to the Father. He said, Father, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Now, all of us have something to do in God. Whatever it is, figure it out. <laughs> And get on with it. And what we want to be here to help you figure out what it is and, and, and equip you a little further to do it. It's time for a ministry to be fulfilled. If there was ever a time for you and I to take a look on all that God has given us, put in our lives, make sure we're using that to advance the kingdom of God. Number five, Romans 16. It's a time for us to wage a good warfare. Romans chapter 15, uh, 16, 
verses 19 and 20. And this is Paul. And this is the church, at, again, at, at, at Rome here. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Verse 20. And the God of peace will soon cross Satan underneath your feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't have to say a whole lot about that because I've made some references in terms of spiritual warfare. But it's time for us to wage a good warfare. It's time for us to put on the full armor of God. It's time for us to take up the full armor of God. Having done all, stand firm, therefore. Having girded your loins with truth. Having prepared your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having the hope as a helmet of salvation. Right? We read in the beginning there, Romans 11, about putting on the armor of light, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision to the flesh to obey its lust. It's time to wage a good warfare, folks. And whatever you're at, whatever you're struggling with, I want to assure you that Jesus wants to give us victory. He wants to give us victory. And the God of peace, Paul says, will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And there are times in our life where we have to draw a line. It's, it, if, you're, if you're looking at it, there, sometimes you, there's just no explanation to it. Well, don't be fooled. We're in a spiritual battle. Okay, number six, last point, number six. I believe it's a time for hope. Let's look at Romans 15. Romans 15. Verse 4, for what was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. Folks, it's a time for hope. It's a time for some of us to start dreaming again. It's a time for some of us to start hoping again. To apply our faith. To look for opportunities to share the gospel. To have hope that what we're doing in our ministry is going to work. It's going to succeed. It's a time for us to have hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about having a living hope that we have through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you and I know, it's not a hope that we're hoping someday, maybe, if uh, God would so deem that. It's not that. It's a hope that we have as an anchor of our soul because Jesus has gone into a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not made of this creation. He went into heaven itself. And when he made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he daily lives to make intercession for us. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray. And then I want to do something a little different this morning. We're going to kind of break up in groups and pray. But let's just pray first of all. Father, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we're, so, um, we're just so intrigued. 
Lord, with Your presence, Lord, and Your Word. and Lord, where You want to take us as a family. Where You want to take us as individuals, Lord. Where You want to take us, Lord, as a congregation. Where You want to take us, Lord, in our ministry and things that we're responsible for. Where You want to take us, Lord, in the life of our church. And Lord, how You want to grow us, Lord, beyond where we've ever been before. Father, we're so excited, God, to be uh, at this time in history, Lord, in our lives. Father God, we're humbled today. Lord, that you would just somehow choose to use us in our weaknesses and our frailties. Lord, we know that when we're, when we're weak, then we are strong. And so, Father, we know that it's by your grace and it's by your Spirit. And we know, Lord, that there's, there's no distance, God, in the realm of the Spirit. And you're with us here today. And so, Father, take this word and sow it deep down inside our hearts. Lord, saturate us with your presence that this word that we've heard today would bring forth fruit, Lord, 30, 60, and 100-fold. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.